Father, we ask that you would just uh, bless this time tonight in the study of your word. And Lord, um, it's a very important uh, uh, passage for us to consider tonight as we talk about purity. And I pray that um, it would resonate in our own hearts, but it would be passed along to our children, to our grandchildren, to those who are linked to us in our lives, the benefits of purity. And Lord, it's a subject that perhaps isn't talked a whole lot about, and even in the church today or in many circles of Christianity, but it is something that you have called us to. So Lord, uh, as we go through these verses, may we be attentive to the things that you want to show us and you want to teach us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so as we find ourselves in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, of course, that section of Revelation chapter 6 through 19 to remind you that we're looking at that period of time that's seven years long. It's called the tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week. And it's that final seven-year period right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ that we read about in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus Christ in the second coming of Jesus Christ will come back literally and physically. And Zechariah tells us he will come back to Jerusalem. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives and we are going to come back with him is what we were told in chapter 19. And then the Mount of Olives will heave in half and then he will establish his kingdom and we will see that and talk about that uh, more specifically when we get to chapter 19 and then move into chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. But in the seven-year period, what has taken place, that there's a lot of events that are taking place. And one of the things that we saw in the opening of the seals or as uh, the tribulation period begins, we know it begins with this man that comes on the scene. He's the rider that's riding the white horse, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, the first seal that is opened up, and that seven-scrolled seal that that was in the hands of Jesus. And as the first seal is opened up, it's the revealing of the Antichrist. And he's going to come on the scene. He's conquering on the conquer. Uh, he's w riding a white horse. Uh, he has a bow, but not an arrow. And he's going to come initially, as Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us, he's going to confirm a covenant with Israel for one week, or that is for that seven-year period. So seemingly, he's going to come on the scene as a political leader that's going to bring uh, peace uh, seemingly uh, and this covenant with Israel, but it's going to be a false peace. Uh, he has a bow, but not an arrow. So he comes and he conquers by peaceful means. So this one called the Antichrist is going to take center stage. And as we move forward, we know that in chapter 11, that speaks of the middle of the tribulation period, that there's a number of events that are taking place during that time. And as this man of sin, the son of perdition, as Paul calls him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he will go into the temple. We saw the temple standing in its place there in Jerusalem in chapter 11. And this Antichrist... Not only is he a political leader, but he's going to come on the scene as a religious leader. And we've seen that over the last couple weeks as we are in chapter 11 and chapter 13 last time, that this Antichrist will go into the temple of God. He will establish himself or declare himself to be God, to be worshipped as God. And we know that not only a political leader, but a religious leader is what he is going to be in the tribulation period. Because initially, when we get to chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, this Antichrist is going to be supporting this, this woman that's a false worldwide church, the woman riding the beast. But in the middle of the tribulation, which is called uh, an event, the abomination of desolation. Remember that Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 said that when you see that, spoken of Daniel the prophet there in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, that you need to flee because there's going to be great tribulation such as the world has never seen or will ever see again. So the second half of that seven-year period, uh, the last three and a half years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, is called the great tribulation or Jacob's trouble. And that's that period of time that we are presently in. 
again. So the Antichrist goes up, chapter 13, we know that he sets up an image of himself, he declares himself to be worshipped as God, and then he will turn against those who do not align themselves with him, do not worship him. We saw that last week, that the whole world is going to turn to this one, the beast that the book of Revelation calls him, and begin to worship him. The world's going to break out in satanic worship because we know that the Antichrist is directly influenced by Satan himself, powered by Satan himself. You have this false trinity that's in the book of Revelation that we've seen in chapters 12 and 13. That is the dragon of chapter 12 that goes after the woman that gave birth to the Messiah, that is to the Christ child, Israel. And we know that as he sets up an image of himself there in the temple in Jerusalem, defiling the temple, desecrating the temple, that the Jews will reject him. They will not give in to worshiping that image that he sets up. They will not worship the Antichrist. He then in turn is going to persecute the Jews. Zechariah tells us he's going to persecute them very heavily. There's going to be a remnant of them, as we saw in chapter 12, that's going to flee to the rock city of Petra in Jordan. And there they're going to be kept saved. So the Antichrist showing his true colors, because remember this, that Satan has always wanted to be worshipped, right? We know that from Isaiah chapter 14 as he exalted himself wanting to establish himself as God to sit on the throne of God. And it was Jesus, of course, that would say to the disciples that I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And so that's something that Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. He will be empowering the Antichrist that will work signs and wonders. We know that from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then also in this false trinity you have the dragon Satan. You have the Antichrist, and then we learned of one that comes on the scene. We haven't talked about him till last week, called the false prophet. He's going to be able to work signs and wonders, and he is going to point to the Antichrist and tell the world to worship the Antichrist. So all these things are taking place. So he's a political leader. He is a religious leader. He is also an economic leader, as we saw at the end of chapter 13 last time, because that those those who do not align themselves with the Antichrist. We know that he makes war against the saints. I believe that's the tribulation saints, as we saw. Uh, it was granted to him, verse 7 of chapter 13, to make war with the saints, to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, there may be those commentators that you may run into that say, well, the Antichrist, he's just going to be a leader of that, that confederation of kings that come together that Daniel speaks about. Listen, here it tells us very clearly that he's going to be a leader as the world's going to turn to him and worship him, but he is also going to overcome and, and authority is given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That sounds like a world leader to me. And, and he will then uh, not allow anyone who uh, doesn't align with him to be able to buy or sell. Uh, they're going to have to take a mark in their right hand or on their forehead, the mark of the beast. We've heard a lot of you know, speculation what that is. Uh, and uh, you won't be able to, uh, to you know, buy anything without your allegiance to the Antichrist. What we will see in chapter 14, that we won't see it this week, but next week we're going to see the proclamation of three angels. And one of the angels that is going to proclaim as it flies around the whole world is going to say, don't take the mark of the beast. Because if you take the mark of the beast, there's no hope of salvation. So there's some really intense things that are taking place. He's a political leader. He's a religious leader. We know that he's an economic leader, and he's going to be a military leader as well, as we're going to see the Antichrist and his forces are going to meet with uh, the, the other nations that will be aligned there. We'll talk about it more specifically in the Valley of Megiddo, Megiddo in northern Israel, the Valley of Jezreel, and there is the last world war that will take place uh, right before Jesus Christ comes back. So a lot of things that are taking place place here. But let's go into chapter 14 as we look at this. Remember that in chapter 7, some of the other events that are taking place here in this seven-year period is, as we saw this 
group of men there in chapter 7, the 144 Jewish converts, 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel. They were sealed by God, we read in chapter 7, and they have a ministry of evangelism because we see in chapter 7, as a result of the 144,000 that are on the scene, that there is the tribulation saints, and, and they are crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And now as we move into chapter 14, we see once again these 144,000 have in the Father's name written on their foreheads. So let's read in chapter 14, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Verse 3, they sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. And these are ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And then in verse 5, and in their mouth was found no deceit. For they are without fault before the throne of God. So there's this voice heard from heaven like the voice of many waters is what we read. Probably the voice of the Lord. Because remember in Revelation chapter 1 that as John he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice, a loud voice as of many waters. And he would turn and he would see the glorified Lord standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. Which of course are the seven churches churches that we saw in proconsular Asia that Jesus would turn to and write a letter to them. And I just want to remind you once again that it brings me great comfort to know that Jesus, that he stands in the midst of the church. You know, he has a love for the church. He, he is the foundation of the church, the cornerstone of the church. And tonight he's in this place. And for me, that brings me great comfort. I hope it does with you. And here we see that he is with those who belong to, to him, the 144,000 on Mount Zion. And note that in verse 3, that they sang a new song before the throne, and no one could learn that song except 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. They could sing a new song because here they are in the tribulation period. They're going through tribulation. The Lord is seeing them through. He's preserving them. And they see the faithfulness of God. I think that every single one of us that are here and that realize that in life we are going to have tribulation. And the longer we live, the more we realize that. That we go through tribulation. That's a promise of the Lord. We like to underline the good promises that we have in the scripture, right? He promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. Uh, promises like that that are very important to us. And we should underline those. But there are other promises that sometimes we don't like to think about. And one of those is Jesus said you will have tribulation. Not that you might have tribulation. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there's sin and sickness and disease and trouble and difficulty. But he didn't leave us without any hope. You will have tribulation. Be a good cheer, though, because I've overcome the world. And I know that perhaps that maybe some of you are going through a time of tribulation right now. And I want you to know that he is with you. And you're going to see his faithfulness as you stay close to him. And as you're standing with him. And he wants the work in your life as you see his faithfulness and that he is seeing you through that time of tribulation. And as he is, you know, bringing his promises true to you and, and as you're resting in his love, that you too will be singing a new song to him. You see, preserved by the fire of the Antichrist. And it reminds me so much of those three young men in the book of Daniel. You remember that in chapter 3, that they're in captivity, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we usually know them as their names were changed to Babylonian names, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it was those three young men that said, we're not going to bow down to your image, Nebuchadnezzar. 
Because Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, had made this decree that when you hear the sound of the music, that you bow down to this image that I made. It was an image that was uh, in an image that, uh, you know, would speak of him, all of gold. And, and he was one that, that was exalting himself, just as the Antichrist is going to do the same thing. And he said that if you don't do it, you're going to be thrown in a burning, fiery furnace. And as the people bowed down, there were three that were standing there. And it was those three young Hebrew men that said, we're not going to bow down to your image. And Nebuchadnezzar, who was a hothead, it says his countenance, he was enraged. And he yelled out and he said, turn the furnace up seven times hotter than normal. Whether he could do that or not, he was just mad. And he throws them in the burning, fiery furnace and as he's down below and he's looking into the entrance of that furnace, he says to the guys, how many guys did we throw in there? Three, O king. Well, I see four. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace, it was the Lord that was with them, fellowshipping with them, preserving them. And I know that there are times in our lives where we feel like the enemy's coming against us, that he's just out to roast us, to throw us in a burning, fiery furnace. And as we remember this, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he's there with you in the tribulation that you're going through and the difficulties that you experience, and maybe you are in a season where you're going through that, and to remember his promises, as he says in Psalm 138, David wrote that the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. In other words, he's going to finish the work that he is doing in your life. And again, as I think about that, I think, Lord, thank you that you're going to perfect that which concerns me. You're going to finish what you're doing in my life. Even as Paul in the New Testament, he would write that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. I don't always understand why the Lord allows trials to come into my life or into your life as I get to minister to people here and, and to walk alongside of you and the difficulties that you go through. But we can trust in him and we know that he is working and that he is one that he loves us and his love remains. And I want you to remember that because sometimes as we go through tribulations or distress or we go through a time of famine in our own lives, we think, Lord, you must not love me. Have you ever felt that way? I think that sometimes we can feel that way. And remember what is declared by Paul. Remember in Romans chapter 8 that he said, I am persuaded that neither of those things, tribulation, distress, famine, neither of those things will separate us from the love of God. And just because you're going through pain and sorrow and difficulty, to know that the Lord is with you and his love remains with you. And God has the ability to preserve as we go through the fires of tribulation. And he desires to make us a thing of beauty. To work his glory in us and to, for us to see his promises. His promises are true and that we can look back and we can see his faithfulness. And that truly that his love does remain. We may not always, as I said, know or understand why the, you know, the Lord is allowing this to happen. But we can trust him. And not only entrusting in him, but listen, resting in him and relying on him for comfort and strength, for wisdom, for direction. And I want to encourage you because I know this can happen. I've seen it happen over the years. And there's even been a tendency, even in my own life at, at times, that when we go through tribulations or trials, we begin to pull away from the Lord. We pull away from him when it's a time we are to be drawing close to him. And we pull away trying to figure out things in our own understanding. And if we're not careful, we, we begin to turn to the world's counsel. We, we begin to come up with our own plan. We begin to isolate ourselves. That's what happens a lot of times. We stop being in fellowship. We stop reading our Bible. We stop looking to him. And Peter on that night that Jesus would be arrested there in the garden. We know that before that, it was Peter that he would pledge his allegiance to the Lord. He said, all these other guys may leave you, but I'll never leave you. I'll follow you. I'll even die for you. 
Well, we know how that worked out. As Jesus is arrested, we know that all the disciples ran away, and then Peter would follow from a distance as the Lord was taken to the house of Caiaphas. And then as Peter followed from a distance, he came into the courtyard of Caiaphas, and he's in the enemy's camp, and, and he ends up, of course, we know how he denied the Lord, but the night ended there with Peter weeping bitterly. And in her own tribulation... If you follow the Lord from a distance, that is, you begin to pull back and you enter into the camp of the world or the enemy, the result is going to be there is going to be weeping because the world's hope is vanity and the enemy is a deceiver. And these 144,000 were able to sing a new song because they went through tribulation and they found the Lord to be true and faithful and good. And you will as well. And the Lord will produce a song of joy and peace that passes understanding as you seek him in prayer. That's the promise of Philippians chapter 4. As you meditate on his word and his promises, you will be a good cheer and strong, just as it was told to Joshua to do as he was facing difficulty. And be like one of these guys that, that what we are to do is follow the lamb wherever he goes. Listen, don't pull back. And don't distance yourself from him, from other believers. Don't follow from afar. Don't pull away from the Lord. You stay standing with him, just as these guys are doing that. But there's something else here that we want to learn, as I've mentioned already from these guys. Verse 4, they are virgins. They are, uh, there are different comments made by Bible teachers and scholars whether these guys are really virgins or just remain celibate during this time. Me, I just take the Bible for what it says, that they are virgins. But whatever view you want to take, you see that there's purity in their lives. They don't defile themselves. In their tribulation, there was purity that was taking place. And as we read these verses, again, we will see that there's benefits to purity. There's going to be eight things that we can note here and, and eight things to consider that are very important, especially in the day in which we are living in that's getting darker and more evil and more confusing. And the church is pulling away from that which is instructed to us and in how to walk in purity. There's eight benefits of walking in purity that we're going to see here. And we know that in our culture and in our society, it's, you know, temptation is all around. It's so easy to get sucked into the depravity of the world. And our culture is telling more of our young people and, and all of us, really, that it's not important to have purity in your life. It's not important to stand for purity being told to go ahead and just live any way that you want to live. And, and there's fewer and fewer Christian leaders and, and teachers and pastors that are encouraging their people to pursue purity and holiness. And we see that more and more Christians are falling into sin, not pursuing purity. And we see the fallout from it, don't we? We see the consequences of what happens when there are those who are involved in sexual sin, more and more being addicted to pornography, the consequences of what we see of pursuing the world and carnality, the breakup of marriages and families being ripped apart, and other difficult consequences, and we see it and it breaks our heart. And yes, there is forgiveness, of course there is, and I'm so thankful for it. But I also know that there is a deception that can happen with people, and even Christians can fall into it. Well, nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to know. I'm not hurting anyone. Because, you see, sin brings blindness, and Satan brings deception, and he is a liar. People hear the word purity in young people and holiness, and they feel like it's restriction. And, and it's going to restrict my life. And I'm just going to, you know, God wants to be a killjoy, that is, and not me want 
to enjoy life. And that is a deception from the enemy. Because we need to, and I hope that we've come along far enough in our own walk, and as we study God's word, to understand this, that sin bounds up. And it is sin that's going to restrict a life of joy and happiness and what the Lord has for us. And he desires for us to walk the highway of holiness because it will free us. It's a better way of living. And it will bring us that abundant life that he has for us. And we know that an aspect of grace is to be free not to sin. We don't have to be involved in sin. We are, you know, to put away the old life and we're new creatures in Christ. All things have become new. And I pray that every single one of us, that what we will understand and look at these things, that there is blessing and benefits of walking in holiness and purity. When we say in our hearts that I don't want to defile myself, I don't want to defile myself. So eight, th eight things that we're going to look at very quickly here. Let's begin number one. We see in verse one, they have the Father's name on their foreheads. In other words, the Lord is on their minds. The way to walk in purity and have the Lord on your mind uh, that will benefit you and bless you. You choose to walk in purity and holiness. The Lord will be on your mind constantly. We know that Isaiah wrote in chapter 26, verse 3, that you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, Lord, because he trusts in you, Lord. You will have the peace of mind if your mind is on the Lord. And as your mind is on the Lord, that you're going to choose to walk in purity. You've heard me say this. You know this to be true. It does matter what it is that you bring into your mind. What it is that you watch and what you listen to and what you're setting your eyes on and what you take in. And sometimes I'll hear Christians say, well, I can watch whatever I want. I got liberty. I can do that. Don't tell me I can't see this. And we know this to be true. But if you're looking at carnality and, and you're looking at worldly things and sinful things all day long and you're hearing it and you're watching it, what's going to be on your mind when you go to bed? It's going to be all that junk. And that's why the Bible repeatedly reminds us that we are to renew our minds. Romans chapter 12. So fill your mind with the Lord, the things of the Lord. We are to be looking for the Lord. You know, a question was asked to me uh, yesterday. Uh, is it important? I was told this person said that it's not important to be looking for the Lord's return because we don't know the day or the hour. And they wanted to know what my thoughts on that were. And we know that the scripture says it's commanded to us that we are to be watching and waiting for the Lord's return. We're to be wise and faithful servant looking for the master's return. That is a commandment. That is not a suggestion. And the Lord desires for us to be looking for him. Paul writes to the Colossian church, keep your eyes and your mind on the things above, not on the things of this world. And it's important for us to keep our minds on him, to be looking for him. And then John says that as we see him, we will be like him. And he who has this hope, that is when we see the Lord, purifies himself. In other words, if you really believe that the Lord could come for us tonight, tomorrow, whenever, we don't know the day or the hour, you're not going to be living a carnal life. I do not buy into those who say, well, you know, those of you who are looking for the Lord's return, you're just looking for an escape and sticking your head in the sand and, and all of this. And that's not the heart of Scripture. And Jesus said, pray always that you may escape the things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I'm looking for that escape. I don't want to be here during this time. But we are to be looking for him. And as we are looking for him and setting our minds on him every day, that is going to help you to walk in purity. You're not going to be down at the you know, bars and hanging out and partying and all of this. But I... I'm looking for the Lord. I'm thinking of the Lord. I want to please the Lord in my life. Second of all, I believe that you'll hear the voice of the Lord clearly as you walk in purity. When you're walking in holiness, you're going to be hearing from the Lord. And I suggest with good reason that this is the Lord, a voice from heaven, a voice of many waters that are here. 
And we need to be ones that we are hearing the voice of the Lord. And we primarily are going to be hearing his voice as we study God's word. That's how he speaks to us. But he also wants to speak to us in that still small voice every day, guiding us and directing us. It was Elijah that had great victory on Mount Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven and he consumes the sacrifice and the wood of the sacrifice. Great victory. And as he uh, slew the 450 prophets of Baal. And right after that great victory, it was Jezebel, the, uh, Ahab's wife, uh, who was the king of Israel, that says, um, Elijah, I'm coming after you. I'm going to lop your head off. And Elijah runs for it. He runs all the way down to the southern part of the, of the country. He's sleeping. An angel wakes him up and says, Elijah, awake and eat, for the journey is long. And he runs all the way down to, to Arabia, to the mountain of God. He's in the cave there. And as he's in this cave of discouragement and defeat and depression, no one's left to follow you. I'm the only one left, is what he says. And all of a sudden, the Lord, he wasn't in the earthquake. That shook. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the wind that was breaking apart the rocks. But he heard the still small voice of the Lord saying, Elijah, why are you here? What are you doing, Elijah? Why are you in this cave of depression and defeat and discouragement? Listen. In the journey in our life, we're going to go through those times. And I've been in that cave a few times myself. And I thought, Lord, why, you know, is this happening? And Lord, why isn't this taking place? And discouraged and seemed defeated and down. And the Lord reminds me that he's not through with me. And as we journey in life, we need to listen to the still, small voice of the Lord. And I can go to his word and I can read his promises and he begins to speak to me. And he begins to minister to me. Listen, as you choose to walk in purity and holiness, you're going to hear more of the Lord. You're going to hear more of the Lord. Now, others have suggested that this is the voice of the 144,000 as they are singing praise to the Lord. Perhaps it could be. But I think there's another application in that, and that is parents, leaders, if you want to be heard loudly, then you better be walking in purity. Because if your kids or your grandkids are seeing compromise and carnality in your life, then they're not going to heed your voice. If they see that you're watching a bunch of junk and you're drinking and you have a foul mouth, but you're telling them don't be that way, it's a joke to them. And we've ministered to young people that they are angry because their parents tell them to do one thing, but yet their parents are living in sin and carnality. And you need to understand this, that authority and integrity go together. Again, somebody asked me not long ago, they said that, that I was told, I heard a pastor say that if you walk in purity, that you'll be able to minister with more authority. And they were asking me, what do you think about that? And I thought about it and I thought, well, David... David sinned. He sinned with Bathsheba. He committed murder. He was forgiven. Nathan said that you are forgiven. He repented. But I'll tell you this. David, after that, he maybe perhaps became a better psalmist, but he was never the king that he was before that. He was never the king that he was before that. The voice of someone living in purity is heard loudly. And if you are not doing that, people will not take you seriously. It's a mixed message, and it's confusing. Mom and dad, whoever it is, why are you telling me not to do this? And I see that you're doing it. This is for me. For us as leaders in the church. And you see... 
it's for me because I don't want to teach God's word and, and be talking about how we're to walk with the Lord and what our speech should be like and our conduct and our behavior and as a husband, how I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church and how to be a parent. I don't want my wife, I don't want Sue sitting out there going, uh-uh, not you. I don't want my kids saying, not my dad. This is for me. This is for all of us. For purity and holiness, if you want to be heard, you spend time with the Lord like Moses. And he spent time on that mountain with the Lord and he comes down and his countenance is glowing and they're going, you know, as, as Moses is going, thus saith the Lord, you shall have no other gods before me. They're going, yeah, okay, all right. Thus says the Lord this. And they're going, hey, Mo, you're a glow. Man, put a veil over your face. But they were listening to him. So what's your countenance? Have you been spending time with the Lord? And you go to your kids and to your grandkids and you say, this is what the Lord means to me. This is what he's shown me. And I'm so blessed as my life and this is what he's done for me. This is what he means to me. Oh, he wants to bless you. He's so good and speak of his faithfulness. Thirdly, number three, verse two, you'll play the harp, the string instrument. Say, I don't play a harp. You'll be in tune with the Lord. And if you don't walk in purity and you say, I'm going to compromise, then your playing is going to, in life, sound real tinny. It's going to be out of tune. It's going to lack. Trevor, or Trevor, Travis, and, and Jesse, Josiah, if they're up here playing guitars, if they break a string, the other strings, they will tell you, will go out of tune. If you compromise, your song's going to lack. And your string will break. You'll be out of tune. So purity, not only will you have the Lord on your mind, you'll hear the voice of the Lord, and authority will be in your voice, then your life is going to play a wonderful tune to the Lord. Number four, as I've mentioned, you'll sing a new song, verse three, on your lips. A new song refers to a song of rejoicing. You'll be one that will rejoice before the Lord as you walk in purity. One of the things you young adults as you're going through the book of Ephesians on Friday nights in chapter five, what you will learn is that we're told to be filled with the spirit and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God. That should be the atmosphere of your home, mom and dads. That should be the, the attitude of your heart, talking about uh, having a joyous heart, a heart of worship and thanksgiving and it comes by one walking in purity because sin and carnality and worldliness brings depression and despair and it will tear you down there may be pleasure in sin for a season but the end of his way the Bible says is destruction and if you embrace purity you'll have a new song in your heart you'll have a new song in your heart and I rejoice, and I hope you do too. Isn't it wonderful? We have God's word. We have the Lord in our heart. We don't have to walk in deception, right? We don't have to walk in the stupidity and weirdness of the world and darkness. We don't have to walk in that. We get to walk in the light and in truth and real godly wisdom that frees us and benefits us and blesses us. Number five, you'll get direction from the Lord, verse four. They follow him wherever he goes. And he wants to direct our lives. He wants to guide us, live in purity. And as we go to him, Isaiah chapter 30, I've made reference to this many times before, as we seek his counsel. He said, woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for they seek counsel, but not of me, but of Egypt, the world. And it's not going to help you. But I am one as you come to me. And returning in rest, you shall be saved. And quietness and confidence will be your strength. And I promise that I'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Go to the right, go to the left. We need the direction of the Lord. And he wants to direct us 
And he guides us through his word. He wants to be a voice saying, this is the way to go. You know, go to the right. To give us a peace that rules in our hearts as we're praying about things. And he wants to do a wonderful work in our lives to bring him glory. He wants to guide us in every area of our lives. Number six. You'll be the first fruits unto God. Verse four. The first fruits were the best, you know, fruits. You will always bring forth fruit to the Lord as you walk with him. As you set your mind on him, as you're seeking direction from him, as you have a new song in your heart and have a heart of thanksgiving, but as we abide in him, he promises that you will will bear forth fruit, and it will be fruit that will remain, John chapter 15. Let me ask you this. Does he get the first fruits of your life? Well, not just financially, but... Your devotion, your time, do you start your day with him? Or does the Lord always get the leftovers? He wants the first fruits of your life in every area of your life. True commitment to him to stand for the Lord, giving yourself to the Lord. And you're going to see that fruit will be produced in your life and you'll never regret that. You'll never regret purity. I'm telling you this. Write it down. I will never regret living in purity and holiness because he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. But I got a couple more before we finish here. Number seven. There'll be no deceit in your mouth. Verse four. Again in Ephesians chapter five uh, we're told to have no filthiness, foolish talking or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Give yourself to purity. You're not going to be talking dirty and filthy and dirty stories and jokes and you know coarse jesting as taking an innocent subject and turning it into something dirty or filthy. Don't do it. Don't listen to it. You guys, I know you work in some pretty rough, you know, guys around you or speech around you, wherever that might be at the workplace. Just say, I don't want to hear it. Ephesians chapter 5 says, expose it, but don't participate in it. Don't partake in it. And if you are compromising and walking in sin or entertaining sins, deceit is going to come from your mouth. We are to speak no corrupt word out of our mouths but what is good for necessary edification. And then lastly, finally, but importantly, you're going to have the testimony of God. And that's what these guys have in the tribulation period. You're going to have the testimony of God. And you know this to be true, that you may be the only testimony of God that people get to see in your family or in your workplace or in your neighborhood or amongst old friends, whatever. You may be the only Christian. And I hear that, and I know that's hard. I'm the only Christian at work, and it's hard. But you are a testimony of God to them. Be a light to them. God has placed you there. Pray for you know, strength and for wisdom and for guidance. And, and as you are walking in purity and standing for the Lord and just have that quiet, gentle spirit that people are going to take note of it. Do you know that? We know in Daniel chapter 5 that there's Bill Shazer having this party for, you know, a thousand of his lords. And they're using the, the temple vessels, you know, those things that were sanctified unto the Lord in the temple that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had brought 70 years before that uh, to the Babylonian temple. And they're there having this party and they're getting drunk and, and they're toasting to the gods of Babylon to gold and silver and wood and all of this. And all of a sudden, you know the story, the handwriting came on the wall behind them and Belshazzar the king saw that and it says his knees knocked together. He sobered up really quickly. His loins loosened. In other words, he needed to change himself. And he cries out and he says, What is this? Mini, mini, tekel, you farson. 
And he calls for the wise men of, of Babylon and the magicians and come interpret. They said, we can't interpret it. And all of a sudden, the queen mother comes along and says, hey, that your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had this man, Daniel. He was wise. He's able to interpret interpret dreams. He, he can tell you what God really has to say on this. Bring him in. And Daniel comes in and he interprets it. And he says to Belshazzar that you have rejected truth. He is honest with him that your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, humbled himself and came to the Lord. Many, many tekel your farces that you've been found in the balances and wanting. And this night, that Babylon's going to fall to the Medes and the Persians, and you, Belshazzar, you're a dead man. There are people all around us that they're wondering what the handwriting on the wall is as they see the weirdness and the craziness that's going on all around the world. And maybe they might ignore you, or they may hold you out at arm's length between chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar, you know, went insane and then he comes to the Lord, he writes his testimony there. Daniel protected him. And chapter 5, they believe 20 years took place. 20 years that Daniel was there. He had a school of prophecy probably. We know he continued to pray. He continued with the things of the Lord. For 20 years, he wasn't really using the kingdom like he was before. And all of a sudden they called him up and said, tell us the handwriting on the wall. And maybe you're at a place at work for 20 years, 20 months, 20 weeks, 20 days, whatever. And maybe people ignore you, family members. But a time will come. A time will come where they're so full of trouble and the world can't make any sense. And, and what is this that they're going to call on you? And you can come and give them truth. That God is real. Turn to him. And you can give them the gospel. And this world is not where it's at because we're learning here as we continue now that there is going to be great tribulation that's going to come. And I love what it says here, and never forget this, that it says that they will stand here and their mouths found with no deceit for they were without fault before the throne of God. And the promise given to you and to me is this that he who is able to keep us from stumbling will present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. And one day we're going to stand before the throne faultless because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And what a glorious day that's going to be. But in the meantime, it's going to be tribulation, folks. It's going to be difficult at times. And as I said, and as we went over on Sunday and we finished chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, fight the good fight, the good, wage the good warfare. It's a battle out there. But you have opportunity where people are going to call on you because they see something different about you because you're walking in holiness and purity. It's not arrogance. It's not I'm better than everybody else. But they see that you're different than the world. And then you get to be used. You just wait for that time. Be ready. Be open. Be flexible. The benefits and the purity the benefits and blessing of walking in purity and holiness. Eight things here. Hope you take to heart. Hope it, it helps. Pass it along to your kids, your grandkids. As Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time and a lot here. But Lord, a lot to consider. And I do pray that we would be ones that we desire to walk in holiness and in purity in our lives because it's a better way of living. It brings us freedom. Lord, it brings, Lord, that joy and that peace. So these things that we've seen, may they be worked out in our lives. And Father, I do pray, because I know the great need in the church is there be a proclamation for us to live for the Lord, that we would take heed to that, because we know that sin binds up and it brings defeat and depression and bondage and captivity. And it's a loving Father that says, I don't want you to live that way. So tonight, while well, we got a few minutes here, 
as you're being honest with the Lord right now? Is there something going on in your life that you know the Lord's been dealing with you about? Maybe you've been pulling up things that defile your heart, the things that you're looking at. Maybe your speech. The things, the places that you're going. The compromise in your home. And you know the Lord's been dealing with you about it because he loves you. And he's saying, stop. And repent and turn to me. Because I want to set you free from that. And there's consequences of sin. And there is hurt. So Father, I pray as you bring those things to light right now, that we would turn to you and cry out for help. And there's a time in life to repent, to turn to you, and cry out, Lord, help me. I struggle with this. Lord, I know you've been dealing with me. Forgive me. I've ignored it. And you're calling me to a life of holiness. And listen, the Lord will never call you to something that he won't help you and enable you. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit because we need you, especially in the day in which we're in. And may we be a church that we're pursuing holiness. And Lord, right conduct and looking for your return. Father, I pray you bless everyone here this morning, tonight. And we would leave here encouraged knowing that you want to do this work in our lives. And we wouldn't buy into the compromise that we even see in the church. We may have liberty, but we don't have liberty to sin. That we continue in grace, that we don't live in sin, or give ourselves to sin, but to you and identify with you. Help us to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and to look to your word and to hear your voice every day that we may be able to minister to others with authority, the authority of the Word of God in humility, that we can interpret the handwriting on the wall. Lord, bless everyone here tonight. I pray if there's anyone here that's never received the gospel, that I want you to know this, that Jesus Christ died for you and he loves you and he went to the cross for you. That salvation is found in him. And if you want to know about the gospel, anyone here tonight, there's a prayer team right now up front. Come up and talk to them. But tonight, you're doing, Lord, you're dealing with your people right now. And we thank you for that. And I pray that we continue tonight and then this weekend. Keep everyone safe. Lord, we also got a hurricane coming in Florida. And we got people here from this church that are there in the crosshairs. We pray that you keep them safe. And as there are going to be those traveling and getting out this weekend, keep us safe. Thank you for this summer. We look forward to this fall and what you're doing here. Pray for next week as the high school outreach, Lord, that you'd reach many for Christ, young people, because that is our hope, our only hope. Lord, may we sense an urgency of sharing with others the truth of the gospel and your word. So, Lord, thank you we're here tonight. Bless our night and the rest of our week. Look forward to meeting again on Sunday. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God is good, isn't he? Hope you were blessed tonight. I know I was.